Hello, my name is Adam Garantz and welcome to this week's episode of the Susan and Bo team presents Adam Garantz's Fun with Real Estate at Home podcast. They say that Ottawa has two seasons, winter and construction. And most of us would probably 100% agree with that statement. And it seems like whenever it's not snowing, something is either being dug up, built or expanded. And today's guest will hopefully shed some light on why these projects seem to never end, their purpose and the process involved from start to finish. Please welcome Darcy Dillon, a professional engineer from BT Engineering Inc. that focuses on environmental assessments that the province uses for civil engineering projects. Darcy, that is really cool. Thank you so much for being here today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So environmental assessments, I think of environment right off the bat, but you're an, you're an engineer. So what, what exactly are these environmental assessments and what do they accomplish? So I think probably most people think environment as natural environment. So, uh, you know, animals outside vegetation, but it also covers a cultural environment, um, like things like heritage and archaeology and socioeconomic environment. So uh, businesses, social environment uh, for the community impacts. So what I do is I work on environmental assessments, which is a, a process that municipalities and the province of Ontario use to make decisions about a project. Um, and there's different sort of types of projects um, and we class classify them in different groups and uh, we classify them in that group based on the anticipated effects of a project. So if we think that there's going to be a big impact to the natural, cultural, socioeconomic environment um, it, and, and that kind of stuff and property as well, that's another big one. Interesting. Okay, so you, you had mentioned uh, heritage actually just at the beginning of there. So if something has a heritage designation, what impact does that have? Because I mean, we're in Ottawa, we are the capital city it seems like every second building especially in the downtown core or every second landmark even has heritage designation so if something's heritage designation how does that affect what you guys do for your civil engineering and, and planning and road construction or building construction and, and what makes something be deemed heritage so it's definitely a consideration in the project we look at if something is designated heritage that means that there's been an assessment completed on that landscape or on the building itself um, and it's uh, found to have heritage value um, but the city of Ottawa also has a heritage register which means they haven't done the assessment yet but the property may have heritage value um, so in terms of projects and and you know potential demolition if a project or if a building is on the heritage register that means that if somebody submits a pro um, a permit to the city of Ottawa to demolish that building the city has I think 60 days to um, designate that building as a heritage building. And there's, you know, I'm not a heritage consultant, but there's a ton of work that goes into um, deciding if that building has heritage value. And it's, uh, you know, based on city context, community context, or, you know, heritage value of the building itself. And then if a building has a heritage designation, it depends on the type of project and what might be done to that building. So um, a project may want to demolish it, um, but the heritage um, consultant may say this isn't going to work and then there's um, a whole standard that they have to follow to work around the building or you know there may be it may have some heritage value but because of the construction that may happen around that building it might be better to commemorate that building and demolish it rather than keeping it where it is. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I, I remember back when they were redoing uh, Lansdowne, the heritage building that's on Lansdowne, the hoops that they had to sort of jump through just to move that building. Like, 
think it was like 10 feet down, like literally 10 feet over from where it was. Yes. And the they had to jump through were crazy. So um, that, that's very interesting. I did not realize that, you know, something could be not quite fully deemed heritage, but it's getting close to it, but it could be demolished and, and have a commemorative plaque. Can you give any examples of, of any buildings or any locations that might have a, uh, a plaque to commemorate something that would have been deemed heritage? I don't know specific buildings really in the city of Ottawa. I know that there is a heritage building and there's development happening around the building in, I think it's uh, near Merivale and Baseline. I don't know what the building's called, but it did, it, there was some heritage value. The developer came in, they had an application for a site plan and the city of Ottawa worked with the developer to make sure that that building would be preserved and that there would still be heritage value of that and a plaque may be erected for that um, to tell people what the heritage value would be. Cool. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So what other types of projects do you work on? Because obviously you don't just do like, I mean, you, you focus on environmental assessments, but I'm sure that there's other aspects of your job that you do as well. So what else, what other projects do you work on? So um, I work for, for BTE. We work on traffic assessment. So if there's a development, we work on, you know, what would the traffic uh, generated by that site be and how would it impact others? Um, I work on value engineering workshops. Um, so it's a whole methodology to look at the value and the work worth of a project and uh, it helps municipalities and, and the province to save money in projects if possible. Okay. And then I also work on noise assessments. Um, that's sort of the second biggest thing that I work on. Perfect. And let's touch on those noise assessments. This has a major impact on what I kind of do for a living, which is real estate and the residential areas. And especially when you have large roads or big roads that are sort of near developments, i.e., the 417 highway. So can you touch quickly on what those uh, noise assessments are? What can be done to decrease noise levels uh, for roads in residential areas? And what deems a road busy enough to require, I guess, a noise barrier, something like example, the 417 or uh, Hunt Club has it as well. So if any inf insight you could give there, that would be great. So uh, a noise assessment is done on a noise sensitive land use. Um, so typically you would think of a residential property somewhere that someone's going to live. They may sit in their backyard and want to have a cup of coffee and not hear the noise going out on outside. Um, and there's different types of noise as well. So there's stationary noise that may come from um, a specific type of land use that may have, you know, idling trucks all day and that generates noise. Uh, transportation noise. So that's when you consider noise on the road itself um, traveling um, in front of the building and then um, there's also like rail and planes um, so those would be considered I don't do too many of those types of projects just because there's there's you know limited number of rails and uh, airports that you could consider so what goes into that is is you do an assessment of the noise um, what is projected so if noise is or if traffic is expected to grow the noise would be expected to grow with it. Um, and then there's uh, certain thresholds. Sometimes it depends on the city or the province. So the M Ministry of the Environment, Conservation and Parks has a guideline. The city of Ottawa has its own set of guidelines as well for what is considered an accept acceptable threshold for noise. Um, so if you do the noise assessment and you find that the noise level is above that threshold, you then need to consider mitigation measures, which may include the noise barriers you're talking about on the 417 or on Hunt Club, or there's actually, if the building hasn't been 
built yet, you consider specific types of building components, which may be masonry on the outside of the building to help to abate some of that noise that you may hear inside or in the backyard. Um, so for considering like the 417, um, it has, as, as anybody who's ever driven on it knows, a large volume of traffic yes. of people driving on it. So if there are noise or noise sensitive land uses close to them in close proximity, then we would consider how much would a noise barrier reduce the noise level to that noise sensitive area, and then it would be implemented. Interesting. That's, that's really cool. I mean, growing up as a kid, I remember, you know, sitting in the backseat of my parents' car, seeing these gigantic walls along the edge of the 417, and I go, what's the point of these? Now <laughs> it makes sense, right? The more yes. you get and the older you get, you realize, well, of course, like, it, that's not a quiet road. People are going 100, 120, not that they're supposed to, but 120 down that road constantly. So it does bring in a lot of noise for sure. Exactly. So sticking a little bit with the residential side of things right now. So over the last few years, we've seen some new bridges um, being built. And from what I understood, you've helped with some of these bridges being built. Um, and they've, they've helped connect some communities. A good example is the Vimy Bridge in uh, Barhaven, connecting Riverside South to Barhaven. And the Flora Footbridge that connects the Glebe and Old Ottawa East. Why were these bridges deemed to be important? And how is the location determined for where they decided to put these bridges? Yeah, this is a really good question. And this is kind of what I like um, about my job is, is the planning side of where do you put the bridge? Where do you put the road? How do you get to that point? So a lot of it, so if you consider like the Vimy Memorial Bridge, consider the growth of the city of Ottawa to the south. It's grown substantially, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And there's a physical barrier of the river that, that means that people can't cross that. They can't take different routes to their destination. They have to be on, you know, the other bridge, the closest bridge that crosses that river. So you want to be able to provide enough crossings of any of those physical barriers that people can get from where they are to where they want to go without causing too much traffic congestion. Because, you know, once you're on a bridge, the tra traffic congestion is anywhere that people may be coming from to get to that one point to cross. It's, it's sort of a, a bottleneck, if you will. Yeah. So when considering building like a new bridge, for example, the Vimy Memorial, you would consider traffic congestion and the traffic growth projection. So where is the traffic going to be coming from in the future to try to find what would be the best place to cross the river. And there's, you know, a whole bunch of things that are considered in the environmental assessment process that we use. Right. Um, you know, so you would consider the tra transportation effects the natural environment effects. So where it's crossing, are there species at risk? Um, is there, you know, natural environment that would, that would uh, be negatively affected? Um, this, the, you know, social economic portion of people crossing that river at that location. Um, there may be development on the other side that you would want to cross into um, rather than into an open field where you know, people aren't really going to come from. Um, and then you also consider cost. So, you know, the longer the bridge, the more it's going to cost. So it's beneficial to try to find maybe a section of the river that's a little bit narrower. So your bridge isn't going to be as long. And then specifically to the court or for the Flora McDonald bridge that you were considering um, the routes that pedestrians and cyclists, any sort of active transportation, which is human powered motion to get to one place to another, um, 
you would consider the pedestrian and cyclist movements. So specifically for the Flora McDonald Bridge, there wasn't really any crossing between, I think, the Corktown Bridge and um, like the Bank Street Bridge. Um, you know, so there, there wasn't many opportunities for people to cross and to get from, you know, one side of the canal to the other. So the city of Ottawa did a, an environmental assessment to figure out where the best place to be to put that bridge would be. And, and that's where they decided. It's very cool. I mean, they're both great bridges and they've, they've helped, you know, it's so much easier to get to and from a lot more uh, areas now than it was before. So those are awesome. Yeah. Uh, sticking with really cool things and really fun and exciting things. What is the coolest thing that has been discovered during a new construction in Ottawa? Because obviously there's archaeologists involved. So what's been the coolest thing you've heard of or you've maybe seen while doing some of the, some of your work? Yeah, so um, it was definitely in the news, but uh, when they were doing all that work on Parliament Hill, um, they discovered, like, I think it was the pre-Confederation military building underground when they were excavating for part of their project. So that, that was so cool. That, that is really, that's really cool. I mean, Ottawa's history just in general is crazy. We've done videos in the past about Bytown Museum and, and, and Bytown in general, Colonel John By. So that, that ties back to some of our previous videos that we've done. And that's mm -hmm. really cool because that would have been his, his base, right? If our, our military base, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So that's really cool. Um, all right. We've talked a bit about um, things that take a long time to be completed. And we've talked a lot about the 417 highway. So now I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I also know that this <laughs> is another project you have worked on. And that is the widening of the 417. Um, <laughs> Why does it seem like it takes a very long time for us to see the results uh, of work being done? I mean, I remember when those signs first popped up on the 417 saying that we were expanding and then it seemed like it was only the last couple of like, like the last six months really that we've seen the highway actually being widened. So how does that, um, how do we get from point A to point B where we are now? Um, and let's and will it be finished on time with obviously covid being an impact here will the 417 be finished and will we have that four lane highway uh, opening on time yeah so i i i need to talk about the the pre-construction part because that's sort of my job um so there was an environmental assessment that had looked at the entire queensway the whole 417 to see if it would need, would need to be widened. And that's based on traffic projections, as anybody knows, trying to get from, you know, Canada into downtown in the morning or from downtown into Canada um, and the opposite side on the other end of the, of the Queensway as well. It takes a long time. So it needs to have additional lanes. So there was a whole environmental assessment process that had been done in like 2007 that they decided, you know, where it was going to be widened, how much it needed to be widened. So they did that process ages ago. And then starting from the west end of the Queensway, they're now moving sequentially to the east. And what needs to happen is you also have to look at the bridges. So there are bridges that, you know, have underpasses and overpasses so people can get underneath the 417 to cross north, north, south, while the 417 goes east, west. So you have to replace the bridges so that they are wide enough that they can accommodate additional lanes on the 417. So that's the first process that needs to happen is to, you know, do that. Actually, let's take a step back. The MTO, the Ministry of Transportation of Ontario, needs to purchase property to widen 
So they, you know, have a whole process before that they purchase property, they design it, then they need to replace the bridges and, and the bridges are, are, you know, large, um, bridges, uh, that take a lot of work. Um, and you know, there's only so much you can do by doing some studies in advance. So there's only so much, you know, about the geotechnical conditions, you know, the underground conditions before you do that. So first you have to widen the bridge, which takes a long time in itself. And then you can go up top and widen the highway. And you know, if budget wasn't a consideration, if you didn't have to keep the Queensway open um, for people to travel from one side of the city to the other, it could be done a lot faster. But you know, the MTO only has a certain amount of money that they can put towards this project because they have roads across the province. Um, you know, there's construction companies that can only have so much manpower to actually work on the construction. Um, so you can only do sections at a time. And even saying that, like I said, you have to manage traffic to travel through the construction site while you're constructing. Um, so that in itself means you can only work on one, maybe two lanes at a time, which also just takes a long time to finish one section to, before you can move on to the other. And it's a long freeway. So it's, it takes time to, to, you know, do that work. So Makes sense. Well, we're looking forward yeah. to it being widened because obviously <laughs> it, sure. uh, it, it's much needed. I mean, it's one of those things that as a, as a person who doesn't really know the, the back end of it until just now, what you're talking about, we've been sitting here for years going, my goodness, why isn't it longer than it already is? Why isn't it wider than it already is? But obviously it's not like, hey, let's just snap the fingers and expand the roads. There's lots that go into it. So that makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's still frustrating, but hey, it is what it is. What can you do? Right? Exactly. Um, are, are there any penalties if the work's not completed on time based on the time frame that they give? Do you know uh, about that at all? So I don't know specifically about the Queensway, um, but it would be written into a contract. Um, so sometimes um, uh, some projects are time sensitive, you know, they need to build a, a road or a bridge by a certain time to open something else. Any municipality or the MTO may write into the contract for the construction company a penalty or uh, a bonus for finishing early. Um, so it, it does depend on the project. It depends on if it's time sensitive um, and if they need the project done at a certain time. Cool. Cool. All right. Next thing. Another one of those things that a lot of people I think in this city do not enjoy, but they're there and they're constantly coming. Um, roundabouts. We are seeing them pretty much everywhere. It seems like anytime a new uh, development or a new city uh, or a new uh, residential community is being developed, they're just popping roundabouts in there. So are these really the most effective way to keep traffic flowing? So I know I've said this a lot. It depends. Um, overall, yes, because um, it, it shares green time for all of the drivers. So if you think of, you know, approaching a signal, you may get a red light just as you get there and you have to wait for the whole cycle to go yes. right with a roundabout you really just have to wait until there's space for you to enter the roundabout um, so it shares green time with all movements another thing that's really good about them is we call these things conflict points so when you look at a signalized intersection you have conflicts with people turning left turning right going straight pedestrians trying to cross, cyclists trying to cross in both directions. Um, there's more conflict points, which means more places in a conventional signalized intersection that people could have an accident um, or a collision uh, versus in a roundabout, there's, there's less um, just based on, you know, it's a one way, you can only enter a certain way, you can only exit a certain way. So those are, are really good. And, and also from like traffic operations, um, 
uh, it does require a lot of space for a roundabout, but then you don't have to have, you know, two or two left turn lanes to accommodate the number of people who are trying to make that left turn. Um, you, you can have less space for, for that, depending on the traffic volumes. Interesting. So they're, they're good. Yeah. They, I mean, they are, I don't mind using them, I guess, you know, there are, there are still some people that, that don't, uh, that don't enjoy using them. And it's, it is a timing thing, like you said, and the first point you said, the frustration of approaching a light and it turns red on you. There's nothing worse than having to wait for that whole cycle just to go through. And you're like, ah, oh, I was this close. I almost made it, but now exactly. I have to wait. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay. So I, what sort of, and then this probably goes back to your environmental assessments, but what sort of steps need to be followed when building a new road in, uh, near an old farmhouse that maybe the farmhouse is staying to ensure that their, their groundwater or the farmhouse's well is not affected and, and they have enough uh, water supply to, to continue to live there? So also a part of a, the consideration of an environmental assessment is, is where you're going to put the road. And like you said, it may have to go next to a farmland because there's other constraints that mean that the road can't go in anywhere else. Um, so part of the things that we consider are things like ground wells and contamination from the road, like salting the road, um, what that might do to the groundwater. So those are considerations and, and included in an environmental assessment are mitigation measures. So if there is an impact, what will the project do to, to minimize that impact on the farmhouse, the groundwater, any of those effects that it might have on a project? Interesting. That's kind of cool. I mean, personally, we don't think of those things, but of course, when you are, like, I mean, there's many parts of this city that you drive around on and there's a random, you know, house built in 1910 that's been there for a very long time. And there's just this road that goes straight through it. And you wonder, all right, well, what happened? How, how did they make sure that this house could still stay here? Because of course, they didn't sell it, they didn't get rid of it. So that's yeah. an interesting bit of tidbit information there to add in there. So that's awesome. Last question, Darcy, and this one's kind of one that when we were talking back and forth that I found very interesting, because it wasn't something that I realized. How are speed limits determined for roads? So this, I'll try to keep this answer short, okay. but um, uh, there's different classifications of roads. So depending on what the function of the road is, also sets what the speed limit could be on that road. So for example, a local road, if you live in a subdivision and the only people driving on your road are the people who live there or people who are visiting, you know, it would be a local road. And then there, those local roads feed into collector roads. So collector roads just have, you know, local roads feeding into it. And then collector roads feed into arterials, which would be maybe considered like Hunt Club, um, Bank Street, any of those kinds of higher volume roads. And then arterials feed into your freeways, which would be like your your Queensway. Um, So typically you pick the type of road or the city of Ottawa or municipality, wherever has a classification of types of roads for that. Um, So you then pick that road and then you would consider, is it a new road or is it an existing road? you would consider the number of driveways or intersections on that road. um, And then you could pick your speed limit. From there, you then design the road to that speed limit. So when you see a speed limit, we've picked that and then designed the road to that, not the other way around. So we don't, you know, and there's, there's so many things that go into how does it determine, you know, what is the speed limit? So there's, there's uh, lane widths. Um, so on the freeway, you're going to have wider lane widths. People are traveling faster. It gives them more opportunity to sort of travel within the lane versus if it's a slower lane, you want people to feel like they can't go very fast or they're going to leave the lane too quickly. And, you know, shoulder widths and 
you know, active transportation usage. So sidewalks, you know, and um, you, you don't want to have a curb right next to a high speed lane um, in case somebody loses uh, control of their car, they're going to hit the curb and that makes their car go much wonkier and harder to, you know, get control of after if they've hit a curb versus if they just hit a shoulder that's paved underneath the paint line. Um, so there's, there's a whole set of geometric standards for the speed limit that you've picked based on what classification a road is and where that road is in the municipality. Interesting. And then to see, to me, I always just assumed the road was built and then they went, okay, this is a 40, this is a 70, <laughs> 90. And so it, it's cool to learn and to know that it, that's not how it works. It's no. we're going to build a 40 or a 50 kilometer an hour road. This is how it's going to be built. And now we'll design the road around it. Darcy, this was fantastic. You did a great job. Thank you so much for coming in today and, and, and us to, uh, to tell us all about, you know, something that, like I said at the beginning, it just seems like it never ends and it, it never will end. But the more the more construction we have, the better our city is going to be as it continues to grow. So thank you for everything. We appreciate it. Um, and, and thank you again to all of our frontline workers who continue to work uh, to fight the spread of COVID-19. And I'm sure Darcy will share my, my accolades here to continue to wear your mask and social distance so that we can get back to a normal life and enjoy those roads that Darcy has worked so hard to make better for us around the city. Thank you again, Darcy. Stay tuned next week for another fun-filled episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye.